Welcome back to the Get Cyber Resilient Show. Today is our fortnightly in the news episode. My name is Dan McDermott and I'll be your host for today. Joining me are our resident cybersecurity experts, Bradley Singh and Garrett O'Hara. And we'll be exploring the hot topics of what is the role of the big four consultancies in Australia's cybersecurity future, with the recent hiring sprees and acquisitions made by PwC and EY. We'll review how Toll have rebuffed criticism that it allegedly acted too slowly in keeping the ASD informed during their two cyber attacks last year. We'll look at Amazon's $1 billion fine for alleged breaches of GDPR laws in Europe. And we'll finish with diving into how Radio New Zealand published a story that referenced information obtained from the ransomware attack on the Waikato District Health Board in May, and the moral, ethical and legal implications of such reporting. Firstly, Gar, welcome back after being unwell for our last In The News episode. Great to have you here today. Thanks, Dan. And uh, yeah, as you were saying, when we were off mic, I'm actually ill today as well from the uh, first AstraZeneca jab, but I'm feeling like my body's doing what it needs to do to be uh, COVID resilient. So good times. Well, congratulations on arming up and, uh, and Thank getting, you. getting the jab. <laughs> Brad, let's kick off with reviewing the recent announcements by two of the big four consultancies on their growth in cybersecurity here in the Australian market. Yeah, certainly. And uh, it's good to have you back, Gar, and hopefully you don't start acting strange due to a microchip or 5G or anything. But, um... Stranger, Brad. <laughs> Stranger. <laughs> we won't get into that, though. We'll be taken down for fake news. Um, so, look, guys, uh, I guess, yeah, thanks again, everyone, for, for joining us today. And the first topical story we want to talk about is, I guess, really looking at the rise, and I guess it's been happening over the past few years, or the entry of the big four or the, more of the top tier consulting firms into cybersecurity. Um, we've seen a couple of press announcements recently uh, from Ernest & Young as an example, where they've uh, effectively gone out and purchased uh, SecureWorks, which is a local cybersecurity firm here in Australia, or kind of MSSP. And then also PwC planning to hire in excess of over 100 cybersecurity staff over the next few years. And now that I think of it, we've also seen, I guess, the rise of um, I guess, you know, a public cybersecurity and company as well in Australia as well with, you know, CyberCX coming to a front and that am- amalgamation of companies. So yeah, I guess from, from your guys' perspectives as well as what do you think this changes and if anything, is this new? And, and then kind of, I guess, what, what is the impact or how does this help the narrative around better high-level accountability around cyber? Yeah, I think these uh, uh, the big four. I mean, in the UK, uh, they're the they hoover up cybersecurity experts, are like the the top hires, and I think have been for for a while when it comes to cybersecurity. Uh, like my understanding is that many organisations, certainly when you hit a certain size, will use the big four for external audits. You know, they're they're sort of set up for that in a way that uh, many other organisations aren't. Plus, the fact that they're a big four tends to add a little bit of weight and gravity when. You, you're doing a board presentation and you want to get some funding for maybe gaps and controls or to fund a project. And, um, you know, so my sense is having EY, KP, KPMG, you know, Accenture, uh, PwC as the logo on an external audit is, is going to help your cause if you're actually trying to get something across the line. So yeah, it, it's sort of an interesting one. I think they've been doing a lot of this stuff for, for quite some time and obviously all the other things that they do. Um, I, I, the, the big four is always kind of mythical to me. Um, I've met people who've worked there and they, they're a certain type of person and can't quite put my finger in it or describe it. But, um, you know, I think you can, you can tell when somebody's kind of come through the ranks of these organizations, they've got a poise and a certainty about themselves that, uh, they, they carry through to the rest of their careers. 
Yeah, I, I think it's a, it should highlights a couple of things to me. One is is obviously the rise of cyber and what it means um, for organisations. The fact that you know a lot of smaller companies are being you know amalgamated into into the big four or a cyber CX, as you said, Brad. So it is like the coming together and, and sort of the rising out of sort of you know maybe smaller sort of players into into much larger conglomerates. I think it's also extending their service offering, right? And as you sort of see as they're going into that rather than just the advisory, if you like, or the auditing side, um, moving much more than into that MSSP of actually delivering the service itself as well. Um, so it gives an interesting lens to, you know, well, you know, do they need, you know, uh, to operate at arm's length between, you know, advice and actually delivering the service and what does those sort of things mean? But they've been going through this for a long time and understand how to sort of, I guess, maximize their role and what they believe they can sort of offer value to, to back into the, I guess, the ecosystem and the, and the cybersecurity community. I, th- I think that's the real thing there, right? It's like, what what role do they play? Are they going to play that pure advisory role moving forward? Or, or with the, to your point, Dan, like with the acquisitions of MSSPs, I, I feel like they've gone from doing softer things such as awareness training exercises and, and that type of maybe interviewing staff and running that type of education to, to your point, maybe to more of that almost end-to-end capability. But the thing is, like to your point as well, it's the rise of cyber. Where does this end? Where does this start? Everybody has a skill shortage and, and these organizations are, are snapping up all the good talent and I'm sure there's going to be a demand for uh, for their services. Yeah, there definitely will. I think the, the interesting point you raised there, Dan, is the potential conflict of interest and how do you separate the you know those advisory services from then the on sale of services or products afterwards. And you know, I've certainly seen that in other organizations and I've always scratched my head where you 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 know if you pay somebody to do an independent analysis of a tool set or an approach, I've always I've sort of found it interesting that you could then potentially also be the organization organization that sells the product or service afterwards because surely that's a conflict of interest. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there's if there's separation or how they kind of approach that um, you know audit versus service provision. Definitely. And I think you also raised the issue, Gar, around like, you know, I guess it takes a different, I think, person to run a SOC um, than it does to be a, a consultant, right? And so um, I think the only way that they can really legitimately offer those services and do them really well is probably through acquisition, right? And bringing in the right type of people and that talent, Um because I'm not sure that they would cultivate it themselves. So, um, so they're definitely on, on the march and expanding their footprint into into this. And it'll be interesting, you know, to hear from our listeners as well. You know, um, if they want to share, um, as we post the episode, um, you know, what's their involvement with the big four, and do they see them actually playing a role, and um, and how how much will they rely on them today versus into the future? And you know, some of those topics might come out as as interesting things for I think for a discussion around you know that conflict of interest or do they see them as two separate things or will they actually just sort of leverage you know one one throat to choke as well or one hand to shake if you want to do the positive version (laughs) drinking our own champagne rather than eating your own dog food there you go indeed Uh, the next topic that we had for today was uh was actually uh, tax from last year, um, which was some of the most high-profile ones regarding the toll group and what had happened 
and um, we covered it uh, during the, the podcast and, and online last year. Um, but it's also it's raised its head again in terms of some criticism leveled at Toll um, around sort of allegedly sort of taking too long to keep the ASD informed um, and keeping that government actually informed with, with those attacks and what was happening. Um, they've defended themselves and said that that's not true um, and that they believe that their engagement was, uh, was timely and, and well justified. But uh, Brad, what can you tell us about what's happening here with Toll and, and uh, I guess the rights of the organisation to be able to interface with government and how do we actually get that right? Yeah, yeah. No, look, I feel like we can't stop talking about Toll. And again, nothing against the organisation or anything. It's just they're a really good case study, I think, in terms of changing regulation, the the yeah, the ASD slash the government wanting to have more input and more control over the response. Um, but also the reality that a lot of Australian organisations just don't have the maturity to, to well, protect themselves. And then how do they recover quickly again? In terms of the story, which is kind of breaking right now, this is all back around, uh, well, to your point, um, I think it was the, the chief spy, uh, Ms. Noble um, mm-hmm. of the ASD, she, she basically came out and said there was an Australian company or an organisation which didn't respond very quickly enough to the ASD. Uh, it was brought up in question time in Parliament as well by a Liberal senator um, with both, with I think Qantas, Toll, and it was another company as well who effectively denied the allegations. Um, the response from Toll, and in their response, they've also cited the Critical Infrastructure Bill, which we've talked about a lot on this channel in the past. Um, they've also cited the fact that, uh, look, we're really busy, we're sorry, um, we're under a lot of stress, and we tried to work with them as much as possible. And I think it comes back down to the point where technically, without something like the Critical Infrastructure Bill, there isn't any obligation for these organisations to work with the ASD or even actually give them access into their systems. So it's kind of up to the company, but I know from, a, I guess, a roles and responsibilities perspective, it really does start to get a bit murky, doesn't it? That's, that is, the word murky is so important there, Brad. Uh, clarity, I think, is the thing that's missing so often when it comes to this stuff, because like, how do you how do you operate? So if you are an organization and you don't know what the expectations are or the, you know, the, the sort of time limit you have to inform the ASD of something, um, I think that's partly what we are suffering from. You know, I think the you know, ASPI wrote the the article on ransomware a couple of weeks ago, and you know they talked about the kind of the policy vacuum when it comes to ransomware. And I think we're probably seeing that in other places too, where um, you know the the job of regulation and laws is to give clarity so that all organizations know exactly what they've got to do, and it's not a decision points you know in an exco meeting or a board meeting or in the security team it's hey this is what we have to do so we go and do it um and i think it you know you probably eliminate so much of the confusion that exists through clarity um and through the sort of legislation stuff to to the i mean this i think we're going to talk about this a little bit later but i think it's part of this story also the that sort of idea of the asd intervention and you know what does that mean that that's a really really interesting one, and, and Brad, you kind of mentioned it. You know, you got smaller organisations in Australia that are providing critical services or infrastructure. There's a definitely an argument to be made for assistance from the ASD, but uh, both Amazon and Google have, in my opinion, rightly come out and said, "Well, actually, you're probably going to potentially cause way more damage by trying to help us because you've no idea about our systems or controls that are in place." And that's that that to me is one of the things I'm scratching my head about is when it comes to security. The Sony things are interdependent. The controls kind of daisy chain off each other. If you don't really know an environment, it's very, very hard to do any kind of useful instant response. 
um, and also the talk from the ASD about potentially installing software um, or applications within environments like that also has me scratching my head um, a little bit you know I'm sure the intent is pure but yeah I think there may be sort of um, unexpected or undesired consequences from that sort of stuff I think it's uh, definitely um, and I've kind of I kind of suspected this last year like there's definitely a big big power play going on here as well like whilst this is for cybersecurity, there's a huge clash of I guess government versus private enterprise and, and the corporation like to your point around amazon and google that that's a phenomenal example but like do you, do you need to get to the point where the asd are all qualified aws google cloud azure like name how many platforms and systems out there and what if the government turns or installs some type of i don't know some software within your environment and then it gets breached as an example um like that mm-hmm. the, the, the levels of risk and trust and i think it does get back to that point though how do we defend against the scale of this like we do need government help and I think to your point, we do need government regulation. Um, before I pass it back over to you, I think the big problem at the moment is when you do get breached, when does that actually get reported to the public, right? If you do work with the ASD, you could get breached and then three months later it hits the press. Technically, maybe you haven't actually suffered any fallout from that and none of your, you know, the, the people who suffered the breach, potentially, you know, their details are still in lieu and it doesn't have to come out till they can reset their passwords, et cetera. So I think because of that timing thing, which you kind of mentioned before, Gar, we definitely need better guidelines in terms of what companies need to do because otherwise they're just going to skirt around the murkiness and, and they're going to, you know, they're going to interpret it um, in, in the best way, in the best light they think they can. Yeah, it's, 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 I mean, this, it's one of those complex problems, isn't it? I wish there was a magic wand or a simple three sentence, you know, paragraph you could write to fix this thing, but it is so, you know, it's one of those problems that the answer seems to be just, it depends. And at so many different levels, it depends, you know, on the best approach. Um, and I, th- you know, in my mind, I see probably like I've started to almost mentally divide this stuff into like the data breach stuff, which is obviously bad and terrible. And then the impact to critical services and infrastructure, I think that's the one that I you know, personally got to worry about a lot more. Um, and I think there's maybe a stronger role for the ASD and, you know, government bodies to come in and, and you know, do some stuff to, to try and help there. Again, you know, big asterisks, depending on the organization uh, that they're trying to help. Um, yeah, I, I wonder how long it takes to settle down. Like, that's the thing. I mean, we, it's not going to be next month or six months from now. I suspect this is kind of going to take some time to figure out. Yeah, like you both said, it's definitely a, a multifaceted challenge, right? And I think that one of the things is, is you know, those in glass houses shouldn't be throwing stones. Um, so how much can you trust the government when they constantly fail their own audit standards um, is, is one concern. And I think they're a legitimate one. Not that the ASD fall into that, right? They obviously, you know, do have the highest of standards, but... It is hard to sort of impose your right and your will onto others um, if you don't have your own house in order. So I think there's some of that that needs to be done and some Mm. hygiene just within government itself. Um, But it's also like what is the role? I think that's where you really summed it up, Gar, is, is, is it that, you know, a toll in this instance should be informing the ASD so that the ASD can in, inform the rest of the community and actually, you know, get ahead of anybody else being attacked. So is mm. it, you know, actually, you know, a, a, a quick, rapid response to actually helping everybody else versus stepping in and actually trying to say that they can help a toll to actually solve, you know, what's, you know, the incident that has already occurred post, posted occurring. Spot on. Like, the, like you've just, I think you've hit it there in a way. Like it's the... Letting, letting a government agency know, that, I mean, that, that I, 
off the top of my head don't see the downside. You know, at least yeah. they know they can plan around what what the impact could be to um, citizens and you know getting stuff shipped, etc. Blah blah blah. Then the bit where you're actively intervening and potentially potentially you know doing more harm than good. You know, that's the bit where yeah, the, there, there surely is a gray area. But yeah, like I, mean, I love the idea of just yeah notification. Let at least get the visibility. Isn't this a little bit like the um, suggestion for the mandatory reporting of ransomware like it's the same idea let's get let's get visibility on the size of the problem and, and where the money's going to cool like away we go at least we can start dealing with it then. bring in the penalties later we just need a proper benchmark to understand it so we can guide people and then i think the biggest thing is the guidance right so like what guidance are we telling to organizations it, it feels like at the moment it's just it's every company for itself really until you get breached you, you don't really know what you're dealing with cyber hunger games <laughs> And is there a notion that, you know, the government steps in for a smaller organization and, and tries to help them out because we know, you know, that they don't have, you know, maybe the resources and investment into cybersecurity versus, you know, a larger enterprise, but it's still fraught with risk. Dimitri, when he was on, spoke about this, actually. I saw Dimitri Alperovich um, spoke about this, right? The, the bit where you get to the point where if you're providing critical infrastructure services to a country, then you know the value of an audit system that gets you either in or out to be able to do that because um, if you can't afford to do security good, then you can't afford to be part of this the critical national infrastructure. And I think there's there's validity to that. I've really struggled with that word validity to <laughs> to that argument um, that um, like this stuff is really important. And I think we've been lucky and maybe gotten away with things for quite a long time, but now we're not anymore. Um, and I do, I do think there's merit in some you know, yet another standard, um, but you know something where we can go and figure out, hey, you know, organization X, um, they're of certain size. We've done the audit, and they're in a pretty good position as far as being able to respond or stay resilient. Uh, organization Y could be bigger, but for whatever reason, you know, mm-hmm. management structures, lack of funding, who who knows, not so good. So you know they're. They they don't get to fly solo. They they will have us intervene because they we don't think that they can do it. You know, I wonder do we land somewhere mm. there? Yeah, a very interesting way of looking at it, and you know, much more sophisticated approach than just based on size or one element, if you like. Mm. I think this whole area around you know legislation and, and the role of government um, leads us to the next story as well. Um, you know, one area that we have known for a number of years um, around, I guess you know, data breach laws and data laws in particular um, is GDPR and, and led out of um, the European Union. Um, and in many ways, like a lot of these legislations, has often been seen as is it the toothless tiger? It's like it's been it's interesting and it's there, um, but you know, how well can it actually be enforced? Well, we've seen a, a big one come out with Amazon being hit with $1 billion Australian, um, so a huge number, um, you know, fine for, you know, alleged breaches, which of course they are um, denying and fighting back against. But uh, yeah, uh, Gar and Brad, would be really interesting to learn more about like, you know, what Amazon are facing here um, and where do we sort of see this going from, um, from a GDPR perspective. Yeah, I think the the number, the one billion, is interesting because I I I'm pretty sure that's like pocket money for Jeff Bezos. Like that's that's what he spends on uh, you know trousers uh, in a week, but it's um like it's a whopper. Uh, but I, I think you're spot on, Dan, in terms of like uh, you know maybe a personal opinion, but I like the idea of legislation having teeth because I think there maybe is a little bit of overstep and too much power in big tech companies where they're 
there's attempts often to push policy um, onto sovereign nations. We saw a little bit of that with uh, one of the social media companies in Australia not too long ago. And I, I personally have a problem with that. I think, you know, we we are nations. We we vote for the people who lead us. We don't necessarily vote for tech companies to, to lead us or make decisions around what good it looks like when it comes to our data, uh, our privacy, how they use that data. Um, but this is, I mean, it's a really interesting one uh, to me. And, you know, it's Lux- Luxembourg who've kind of gone after them. And it's a, um, a a sort of breach around GDPR. And my understanding is that we don't really know what the breach is. And correct me if I'm wrong, if you guys know, um, but it, it feels like something happened. It's been considered pretty serious given the, the size of the the fine. But I'm, I don't know what the details are of what actually happens to cause the, the fine. Yeah, I, I don't think we know yet. And <laughs> does this feel like it's just for a company like Amazon, it's just the cost of doing business? You know, like it's at the end of the day, like <laughs> it's good. I think, like, I agree. I think it's great that we're having enforcement around this, but it doesn't really hurt them. And then, I mean, to, at this point, I guess to Amazon's defense, they haven't confirmed or, uh, you know, they're, they're denying the allegations and kind of what you said earlier, Dan, but I guess it'd be stupid to kind of admit to anything at this stage. Uh, interestingly enough, you mentioned kind of, I guess, the whole Facebook news and that aspect. Facebook have just launched their news offering in Australia as of today. So that's a their kind of news channel program, which I think they're basically trying to get journalism revenue all around through the world. And the Australian media, but media bargaining that we did with them was kind of like a bit preemptive, but kind of on a similar vein as well. So back to the privacy privacy aspect, though, I think, think you're 100% right. Like we need to make these companies accountable, but I don't think big financial fines is just enough. Like there needs to be something else, doesn't there? There needs to be the uh, the ACCC coming in and saying you can't advertise anymore. There needs to be higher penalties or something because clearly what we're doing at the moment is not effective, and we definitely don't even need to get into the the you know the aspect or the idea of how tax hasn't been paid by a lot of these large providers, but you know they, they take a lot of money out of the economy as well. I think there's I mean there's energy behind uh, breaking these these organisations up. We've certainly seen that change with the. Uh, government over in the U.S. and some of the people that Biden has put in positions to kind of start looking at, you know, the, the power of big tech and, and what it does mean to kind of break up those organizations. And, um, you know, there's some commentary and people in the kind of the business community about how that's an overall good for investors, for society, and that when you break up organizations that size, it tends to be really good for shareholders. You you, you come out on top, like it's better uh, financially, um, which is kind of an interesting thing. So, you know the the sort of the the churn and the breakup of these organizations. I, I suppose one thing is it has a good outcome, I, I suspect, for society. But then secondly, it's actually pretty good for for an economy. Um, so you know, I'm sure they they don't necessarily want to be broken up. But uh, and in the background, I just had a quick look to see how much Jeff was worth, and it's 196 billion personal worth in 2021. So the fine is 0.5% of of. Jeff's uh, personal <laughs> worth, and that's USD, so probably even more in Australian dollars. It seems like co- such a. Sorry, you go. I was going to say, this comes after I think uh, Amazon just posted really weak earnings. So I think he lost the most anyone's lost in a day, which is over 10 billion. But I'm going to play um, devil's advocate here and protect the billionaires for a moment. Um, China have gone through a big process of basically getting rid of, rid of their billionaires. So yeah. people like J- uh, Jack Ma and then quite other influential people who are kind of, you know, going against what the CCP's mantra is. And I think what, and this kind of goes against what I think the dream for a lot of 
uh, you know, potentially Chinese people was in the past as well, where you can make it, you, be, you can rise up, you can become a really successful person from nothing. But to have the government come in and then destabilize it or, or not let you go public or effectively silence you, that doesn't really do good, I think, for the I guess for the dreams or push entrepreneurial spirit forward or or help with creativity. Um, but it also does highlight that you know one of the biggest um, powers in the world is afraid of really wealthy individuals who have large platforms. And as individuals, we need to be very mindful of that as well. And we probably do need government help and regulation here because otherwise they're just going to get even more powerful. And you could argue that some of these com- countries are, are more powerful than small nations, um, which isn't far from the truth. Yeah, they, I mean, they are. And the, the amount of money they have to spend on lawyers and lobbyists is astonishing. It's jaw-dropping. And that's the thing, I think, yeah, there's some, there's some I mean, we're getting very political here, but it, it feels like there's some stuff broken in the system where, I mean, let's be honest, we're at a point for most developed countries that it's kind of bribery for the most part. You pay the lobbyists enough, you, you away you go, you get your, your policy through, you get your legislation through time and again. Um, I find that, you know, the whole lobbying thing very bizarre. Um, but like, how do you compete with the army of lawyers that big tech will kind of bring to the fight um, each and every time? So yeah, I don't know what the solution is, but yeah, we, we need something to change in, in my personal opinion. Well, as you say, Gara, they definitely will bring the lawyers to bear and uh, it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out to to see whether, you know, the, the GDPR legislation will stand up and be able to actually hold to, to the fine or whether that will uh, will be overturned as well in time. And just in case any Amazon lawyers are listening, I'm a lovely Amazon Prime member and I'm a huge fan <laughs> of Amazon services, so just wanted to state that for the record. <laughs> I hope you're not getting splinters sitting on the fence there, Brad. Um, so, <laughs> Brad, you did mention though on, on Facebook and media and, and the last story we wanted to cover today is, is one that is sort of quite disturbing in many ways in terms of, I guess, you know, the integrity in, in journalism. Um, and over in New Zealand, we saw a story sort of being produced from information that was sourced via a ransomware attack. Um, and it wasn't just any ransomware attack. It was on a on a health service. Um, and they got the information apparently off the dark web and have used private information to actually then go and publish a story. Um, this is a, a can of worms that I don't think anybody really saw coming, um, but is, uh, is now here with us. And, and I think something that needs to be addressed pretty quickly. It's a really interesting one, I think, just because, and I think I remember the breach. It was the district health boards, and I won't try to say that that part of New Zealand. If, if anyone on the, if anyone can help, <laughs> Wakato. There you go, Wakato. Okay, Wakato District Health Board. And look again, I feel really bad for anybody who's you know whose details may have mis- been misused. And I think the big thing here as well is that the breach data was potentially used for, for marketing, you know, creating marketing content, TV ads, monetizing people's private details effectively. I think that's a big red flag. And one thing I, I, I do laud the New Zealand media for is I know with some of the, you know, the terrible shootings and, and challenges they've had over there, they've, they've never named um, the gunman behind that publicly and they've done really well to try and avoid that. And I think that's kind of the same thought process here, right? Like this is people's personal details. And it also comes back to that concept of, okay, well, what about things like WikiLeaks then if, you know, if we're going out and publishing large troves, but maybe it is to protect the fact that there's a huge 
misuse of our data going on where we do need events like this to bring it to light. But I, 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 I think it's a good step up by the, uh, the privacy watchdog in New Zealand. And I think that anytime people's details like this, especially when it's a result of something out of their control, which I think in consent is the big thing here. I think it's uh, absolutely great that it's been raised and probably a little bit poor taste for, uh, for, uh, for any media organization to, to, you know, kind of use those details in that light. Kind of reminds me of um, some of the stuff that happened over in the UK with you know the tabloid press where they were hacking phones mm-hmm. and there was some really kind of like, I think you used the word grubby or somebody used the word grubby kind of approaches to reporting and you know if if I'm reading the headline right here it's the state broadcaster that just that leaves me kind of scratching my head again wondering well how, what like surely there's you know journalistic integrity there's just basic rules of of reporting that. Like what's going on here? They, they would presumably have ethics, um, you know, documented ethics and policy. Um, so yeah, it just it seems very bizarre that that's that's happened. But to your point, Dan, yeah, kind of worms. Like this is pr- pretty scary um, that it would just would sort of end up in uh, in the media. I think it's really bad though too because like this is a breach that a lot of people know about. And if you knew somebody who was, you know, a member or a customer or a patient or client of of the health board. Now that you know that, it's really easy to get these people's details off the dark web because a state broadcaster has pretty much said it. You could potentially go online and find the stuff really easy as well. And I guess that's the thing, right? Like the information is out there. It's just that this is really utilizing it for malicious reasons, which is, I guess, kind of what, what the threat actors are doing. Yeah, it's a, an additional threat, isn't it, of the use of the data. So it's, it's already, you know, it's been breached. Um, your information has been stolen. Um, it's being you know published for goodness knows what reasons on the dark web and and financial gain from that perspective. But to then feel like it like I guess the breach is happening all over again um, if it gets used in this sort of way. Um, and as you say, Gar, like it is very akin to to what's been happening in tabloids you know for a long time. But I think that's the difference is, is that you know the tabloid newspapers versus you know a. Uh, a a state sort of uh, based publication is uh, is very different you would normally find. So um, I think it also just points to you know I guess where journalism and news is at right that that mm-hmm. that notion of you know it's so cutthroat and trying to find any sort of angle and be able to get ahead of the game because it is it is so difficult now right in a 24 by 7 news cycle and things moving so quickly um, all the time. Um, it's a bit of a sad state of affairs, unfortunately. It is. Uh, you've just there's a, a conversation I had with uh, Gregor, who actually was the you know the first kind of post the uh, pod. I caught up with him last week. Hey, Gregor, if you're listening, uh, but we got chatting about uh, the media and you know how. So I've started buying the newspaper, and you know the reason there was that I got a little bit sick of uh, you know seeing online news and and the salacious clickbait headlines, and sort of felt like actually it just feels weird. So you got a newspaper delivered. It's lovely. I can sit down with a cup of tea and, and read the paper, <laughs> get my slippers on. Um, but I, I've noticed that if I look at the online app for the newspaper that I get delivered, the headlines are different. So they're much more clickbaity when they're online. <laughs> and something I hadn't considered, and Dan, you probably have a good insight in this given given what, <laughs> what you do. But um, Gregor had made the comment that you think it's just the online version of the headline, but what if it's actually almost customized at an individual level, not just that you're seeing the salacious, you know, the salacious online headline that everybody sees, but actually you're seeing a version of the headline that somebody's customized based on understanding your profile. And then potentially, do we get to the point where when you're reading an article, you know, the machines have, you know, 
somehow massaged it into something that is much more, uh, you know, it's going to push push the what do they call it the bummer button or the outrage button for you mm-hmm. and um, like that's a rabbit hole. Um, but I don't know, you, you you would know that stuff way better than I do. Uh, beyond my pay grade, that's for sure. But it's uh, definitely like that's where you know it is possible like it's not beyond the realms of possibility that's for sure um and then yeah like you say it gets back to the notion of integrity um i think that's what has to come to the heart of it and if that gets broken then then these things are possible they can occur with the rise of technology and everything else that's available um there's no doubting that this could happen um so it is you know incumbent upon I guess, again, regulators or others to sort of think about, you know, how do you not allow it to, to occur and how is there some self-regulation in the industry, I think, is a critical part. Just on that really quickly as well before we kind of wrap up, um, thinking out loud about um, platforms and regulators, um, Sky News got in a lot of trouble recently for their COVID-19 uh, misinformation and YouTube banned them for, for, was it a month or something, like a whole month, Sky uh, News? Seven being, days, I think. Yeah, yeah okay, a, a week, but... That's interesting, right? Because that was broadcasted on our public television channels or, you know, like you watch it during the, the normal regulation. So it's interesting to see that it's been a tech giant come in and regulate misinformation and not one of our local governing bodies who would, I guess, effectively designed to regulate the media. It's a complicated world, that's for sure. And uh, and definitely like one that we're, where we don't want to see, you know, you know, ransomware being used again for another purpose and therefore fueling the right, the continued rise. So I definitely think that we've got to find ways to, to stop all of these things occurring in order to, you know, put a, a halt to it um, in one way or another. Abacuses and notepads, I keep saying it. <laughs> Can't compromise the notepad. I mean, an abacus, I guess. <laughs> or can you? Well, I think on that note, thank you, Brad. Thank you, Gar, for your insights and expert analysis today. Um, And thank you to all our listeners. Um, Gar, who do you have in store for us for next week? Um, Next week, we've got uh, Jay Hira, who is of um, uh, Salesforce. So he's the Security and Appliance Advisor over there. Um, Guy who's come actually, interestingly, has come through KPMG, IBM, Accenture, EY. So actually, weirdly kind of links into what we were talking about today. And we get into things like APRA CPS 234, value of certification, standards and regulations, the critical infrastructure bill. So yeah, cracking conversation with Jay. Fantastic. Really looking forward to that. Until then, stay safe.